Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at GCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Spertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 40. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. And Josh is the only one with us, but Zach will be joining us from his on-location studio in Ohio. So he will be bringing us the summaries for Detective Comics and... Batman Confidential. But before we get into our comic reviews, we do have some Batman news to go over. So, let's get into comic news. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. Alright, so the very first thing we've got is on March 5th, the complete covers for Batman The Return of Bruce Wayne were revealed over on The Source. We already knew exactly the different versions of Batman we were going to see. The Caveman, the Puritan, the Pirate, the Cowboy, the Detective, and then Batman himself in issue 6. But these covers were released, and believe me, they are pretty awesome. And I could honestly see these somehow working all together to be a poster. The sixth issue, looking at it in full color, that's definitely going to be a poster or a t-shirt. I could guarantee that right now but yeah these covers i love the sketches of them and they look even great full color especially uh the last two which the last two are my favorite and the ones that i'm kind of most interested in seeing i'm still not sure about blackbeard batman yeah all right also on march 5th ign had a chance to talk with andy kubert about various things related to his work on the covers of batman return of bruce wayne and some of the highlights, uh, he spoke on getting the project, and he said, I was first contacted by Batman Group Editor Mike Martz early last fall to see if I'd be interested in drawing one of the Return of Bruce Wayne issues. I told him I really wanted to, but I know what I have coming down the pike comic book work-wise. Plus, with my teaching administrative duties at the school, I work at my father's cartooning school, I very, very sadly had to decline. Mike then asked me if I'd be up for drawing one of those covers for the issues. I said yes, but thinking about it for a few days, I thought it would be fun to draw all the interpretation as Bruce, since it really bothered me that I didn't have time to draw one of the interiors. Mike kindly obliged. And that's really the only thing I'm going to go over. Uh, there were some other things about how he designed the different types of, you know, Batman, like Cowboy Batman or Caveman Batman, and you can read some of those on the website. Alright, so the next bit of news we have is on March 11th, it was announced that Fabian Asaiza will be taking over Tim Drake over in the Red Robin series starting in June. We all know Asaiza, who worked on Robin, closed out the series along with artist Freddie Williams III. Uh, we obviously praised his work, and Josh went as far as nominating him for the TVU Awards last year for their work uh, uh, on Robin, as well as Fabian's work on the Batman Dead, Batman Alive, one-shots. Um, obviously, Fabian, as we know, understands Tim Drake, and in our opinion, there couldn't be a better writer on the series. Uh, Nasiza commented on the move over at The Source by saying, To unexpectedly get the chance to come back at this time with Tim Drake in a more positive place mentally, stepping into his 
own as a young adult and better prepared to develop his own distinctive approach to crime fighting, both in Gotham City and across the world, only means the hundreds of stories I've always wanted to tell with the character now number in the thousands. He also commented on what is to come in the series once he takes over duties, by saying, What lies ahead? Adventure, mystery, complex moral issues, an involving rogues gallery specific to the character, romantic triangles, maybe quadrangles, fun, humor, all ripe for the pack picking. I can't wait for readers to see this excellent character's continuing development into something unique and special in the DC Universe. So, that's what we're going to be seeing come June. No word on what this is going to mean for the Azrael book, but raise your hand if you are, you know, worried about the Azrael book. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, I yeah. don't think so. Oh, hi, Apple. <laughs> no, uh, I love Fabian's work. I didn't really care about Azrael, though. I gave the Azrael mini a shot because it was Batman-related and because I liked Fabian. It didn't interest me, and the series itself hasn't been interesting me. Yo, Stun Red Robin, it's, you know, because when this was announced and when we all figured out that Tim Drake was going to be Red Robin, because that was such a shock to all of us when it happened, a lot of us were surprised that Fabian wasn't going to be continuing on the Tim Drake narrative. We're like, Chris Yost, really? What? Why? It's, huh? And Yost's, well, you've all heard the comic podcast, I'm sure, where we complain about Yost's, you know, narrative and how the time periods don't flow, but... There has been some good things with him working on Tim Drake, and he's actually been conscious of continuity by bringing back things like Alvin Draper, and even in the issue that we're going to discuss now, he brought back Ives and Zoan, although, like, Zoan's really that old of a character. But he's re- he's remembered things. But Fabian, if you listen to any of the comic podcasts from, like, a year or a year and a half ago, I was just gushing over his run on Robin, and that Gang War storyline was good stuff, and he really got the character of Tim Drake, and he was pulling all these threads from different places, making them tie together, and the Batman Alive and Batman Dead issues, it just showed how much not only he gets Tim Drake, but Batman's world in general. They're relaunching all these Batman titles and doing this whole new direction, and they give Fabian Asriel a like little satellite title. So it's they're correcting a mistake, in my opinion. No offense, Chris Yost, no offense, but they're correcting a mistake that it was made over the summer. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, the big thing is when Fabian, at first, they didn't announce the Azrael book right away when they were announcing all the new titles and who's going to be on them. We were really kind of taken back by the fact that Fabian wasn't going to be on a book, especially not him not being announced to be on Red Robin of all books because his work on Robin was so good. So we were kind of taken back, and then eventually when it was announced that he was going to be doing Azrael, I remember this big thing before Azrael came around about him saying he was going to be working on uh, a series, but nobody was saying what it was. And then there was the possibility, oh, is it going to be this Azrael book? Oh, is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Or Batgirl. Yeah, or Batgirl was the discussion for a while as well. So... I'm glad that he's coming to the book. I'm glad that Tim Drake, again, will have the chance to be his own character. And I think Fabian, when he writes Tim Drake, can make him his own character. He doesn't necessarily have to be in Gotham City, which would have made more sense, obviously, if he was writing him when he wasn't in Gotham City. But hey, what can you do? Either way, I'm looking forward to it. He also was... Fabian was the guy who launched this whole Vicky Vale storyline in the Batman Dead and Batman Alive, which, to be honest, that was one of the 
plot threads that I was more curious about that has barely been touched upon in this new direction. And according to that character wall, Vicky Vale is supposed storyline is supposed to be handled in Red Robin, so it's good that Fabian is gonna be the one to tie this up and continue it. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about love quadrangles though. Like really? Oh God. And then with Vicky Vale in there, oh I'm afraid of what Fabian's gonna do now. <laughs> but no, I'm gonna be loving it, I'm sure. Yeah. Alright, so moving along, the last bit of news we have is well, it came the news is actually from March thirteenth over this past weekend, um, from Emerald City Comic Con. The Emerald City Comic Con took place over the weekend and even though we weren't there, comic book resources were able to get some news and we of course will bring you the news. Emerald City Comic Con is not as big as San Diego, but it is basically up there on the important cons to DC. On Saturday, March 13th, DC held its DC Nation panel. When there's a discussion about the current and future happenings in the DC Universe, Batman always gets at least a mention. Batman fans were not let down, as there's many different news items mentioned during the panel. Most of the panel was an open forum and allowed fans to ask pressing questions. One of the first fans that approached the mic asked when we will see Batman Beyond in comics again. It was hinted way back last October that there will be a Batman Beyond miniseries that will follow after Paul Levitt's Superman Batman Annual. Well, Ian Sattler reiterated this info and added not only will we get a Batman Beyond, but also a Superman Beyond. The Annual will come out in June. There was a mention of a Batman Beyond getting his own comic in June, but the comment was vague enough not to be able to determine whether or not he was referring to the Annual or the Mini. Then there was a question presented on whether or not Damien, as Robin, would be joining the Teen Titans. Sattler laughed and replied, he'd hurt them. We've actually talked about it, but he's busy in Batman books all year. We'll revisit at the end of the year, which coincidentally would be around the time Bruce comes back, which means Damien might be out of a job anyway. Jeff Johns, who was part of the panel answering questions, provided some details on his upcoming graphic novel, Batman Earth One. He mentioned that himself and Gary Frank are aiming for two books a year. He also said that the Riddler will be the main villain, and that Barbara Gordon will make an appearance. The last bit of news was also from Johns, who said that very soon we will hear something straight from Jim Lee about the constantly delayed All-Star Batman Robin. There was no other news besides that, but I'm assuming we'll be hearing something as far as because Jim Lee is in a power of position at DC now, being a co-publisher, I'm assuming one of his first things he's going to be working on is getting his book out that is well overdue. Yeah, like we're really going to be hearing something about uh, All-Star Batman and Robin. Don't we hear this every few years? I don't know. Uh, Damien hurting the Teen Titans, really? I think that they'd humble him and that they'd give him a good kick in the pants. I mean, you got gods and, you know, killer robots on the team. I'll let that cyborg's a killer. And But yeah, these people can probably kick Damien's butt. It would be funny for a one-shot. I don't think that he'd be good on the team consistently. But they'd probably send him home crying, which I would love to see. Not that Teen Titans has been a good book for the last year. I agree. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that the graphic novel Batman Earth 1 is going to have Riddler as the main main villain. I'm not opposed to that because, honestly, sometimes the Joker is, well, too overdone and Apple's not here to defend the Joker. But there's definitely some good times where the Joker is way, way, way overused. And I think it's nice to get a character that is uh, not 
the Joker being the main character. What I find really interesting is that the the Riddler is probably more of one of the more down-to-earth type villains that Batman has. Besides being a little nuts in the head and OCD, you know, he's more down-to-earth. He doesn't have... Not that the Joker's not down-to-earth, but I guess he's more believable as a character in this universe that they're going to be creating. Well, they never said... Did they ever say that this was going to be a down-to-earth universe? All I knew was that this was a new continuity. I don't think that they ever... Because this is the same universe that Superman's going to be in, isn't it? Yeah, I guess uh, just based on the different types of descriptions that came out, like the description about Alfred... I don't know. I guess I just get the impression that it's more down-to-earth. They didn't actually say that. I'm just going off of what I've read from the descriptions and things like that. It seems as if they're trying to make it more down-to-earth. I think that the fun thing with Riddler, with using Riddler as the villain, is that you'll be able to showcase in this new continuity Batman's uh, detective skills a lot better than having him just, you know, punch out somebody like Two-Face. I'm sure that we're going to get some foreshadowing to the Joker, because it's it's just one of those things that it almost has to be done, even if they don't have to do it. That it's, it's unavoidable. I'd be surprised if we didn't see at least a hint of the Joker within the first two graphic novels. All right, so that's all the comic news we've got. Let's get into the next two weeks' worth of trade paperbacks, and we only have two. They both come out on March 31st. The first one is Oracle the Cure. Uh, the solicitation reads, Barbara Gordon discovers a new path in this collection featuring... Three-issue Oracle miniseries plus Birds of Prey number 126 and number 127. This be 128 pages and be 17.99. Uh, my opinion of this: don't spend your money on this. It's not worth it. 17.99? Wasn't this thing three issues? Oh, but then you get those two issues of Birds of Prey. Oh, it has the two issues of Birds of Prey. Okay. Oh God. Yeah, because those were because those two issues of Birds of Prey were awesome too. I forgot. Well, about a year ago uh, or so, when I was reviewing the Batgirl miniseries of Cassandra Kane's Redemption, which is now coincidentally collected in Batgirl Redemption, I suggested that if you were out of toilet paper, that you can use that. By now, all of you have probably used up all of your Batgirl Redemption toilet paper, so I would definitely suggest buying this Oracle to Cure stuff if you need some more toilet paper. That being said, the other book that's coming out on March 31st, is going to be Robin Archives Volume 2. The solicitation reads, This new Robin Archives collects stories from the late 1940s in which the boy wonder faces the sinister knight, declares war on Batman, travels to Rancho Fear, battles crime in Hollywood, and meets with meets the fearsome man in with the Midas touch. Features tales from Star Spangled Comics number 86 through 105. This will be 256 pages and be $59.99. Yeah, if you want to read about what arc, what the current Batman in the main DCU was like as a laughing daredevil prepubescent, pick this up. Yeah. I uh, can't say I'm a huge fan of the Archives series. Really, they're hard-covered, and they have a, you know about 30 issues in them. I don't, in my opinion, I don't really want to pay 60 bucks for something like that. It's bad enough that the Chronicles, the affordable ones that you can actually afford because they're only like 10 bucks or 15 bucks or something like that, come out only once every six months in March and October. So that's why there's uh, eBay and, well, on Amazon, 
never buy new books on Amazon. Click, go to Amazon and click on new and used, and you'll get them for, like, eBay prices. So if you're going to get the archives, get them that way. Otherwise, it ain't worth 60 bucks. Yeah. All right, so that is all of the upcoming releases we've got as far as trade paperbacks. So let's get into our comic reviews. We've got six books total to cover. I'll be covering two books, Josh will be covering two books, and as I mentioned earlier, Zach will be joining us on location from Ohio with two books as well. Um, Then we'll get into our review wrap-up, where we'll really just be review wrap-upping the four books that Josh and I are covering, and then just be giving ratings to the two books that Zach is covering. So, let's get into it. The first one we've got is Batman Robin number 10. You sound just like Batman. I'm nothing like him. Yeah, right. The mask, the attitude, the long underwear. Drop it! This issue, obviously, is uh, written by Grant Morrison with the art by newcomer Andy Clark. When I say newcomer, I just mean newcomer to the series. The issue starts off with Damien basically at Wayne Enterprise telling the board of trustees at Wayne Enterprises that they need to get things in order and they need to stop letting Bruce Wayne spend all this money. Then we cut to Batman, who's meeting with Oberdin Sexton, figuring out a bunch of different killers that are related to this Domino killer. Oberdin Sexton tells him that at this point he believes that the actual Domino killer is Bruce Wayne. And obviously Dick is taken back by this because uh, it's not the case. And then he leaves. Then we find out that uh, Alfred calls Batman and Robin back to Wayne Manor to see something that he's found. He's basically found a clue inside of uh, inside Wayne Manor of various different things, uh, specifically with pictures and portraits of the ancestors of Bruce Wayne. Um, as they're looking at these different pictures, they start to notice that almost every single one of these pictures looks exactly like Bruce Wayne. Then they start looking and trying to figure out if there's... Uh, clues they find out that there's various things around the house that are pointing to different things at this point dick has come to realize that bruce is still alive he tim drake was correct even though the fact that we really haven't seen an issue where tim drake and dick grayson are in the same room talking about whatever tim drake found that made him believe that bruce wayne is still alive But I guess at this point, we're just supposed to figure out that happened. So Dick is under the assumption and knowledge that Bruce Wayne is still alive. So now he's getting into this, let's go find clues around the house. Alfred goes out to the Batmobile to look up some various things on the uh, Batcomputer. Then we see Batman and Robin going through Wayne Manor. Then we cut to Oberdin Sexton, who's being called by who we would assume to be the domino killer, who's telling him, you had a chance to take out Batman, you didn't, now I have to take you out, I'm sending some people to take care of you. As the people come to take care of him in the hotel they stay at, he escapes, cut back to Wayne Manor, where, again, Batman and Robin are going through and finding different things. Then they find a fireplace hearth that has some kind of symbol on it that's very similar to a picture, and as they touch it, it opens up a secret passage. Then, we uh, figure out that Damien's kind of having some problems with the idea of Bruce Wayne coming back because he's afraid he's going to not be Robin anymore. Then we cut to the part in the time 
where we didn't, where Damien got taken away by his mother when his spine was broke, and we didn't know what happened. So now we start to find out. Well, we see Damien in a wheelchair, and his mother's telling him, I know exactly what's good for you, I know exactly what your future has in store for you. I can't believe you're doing this whole Robin thing. It's breaking my heart. He essentially says, you know, here's the thing. You weren't around very much when I was a kid. And honestly, I'm actually starting to feel like I'm accepted as Robin. And then basically she says, you know, the time will come. And eventually you will obey me and no one else. And then he says, I won't be your weapon against them, mother. And then she says, we'll see. Obviously foreseeing something that will happen. Then cut back to present time where we see Batman and Robin going into this secret passage, which is a room lined with a bunch of knights that has a rose and a bat on the floor. Then out of nowhere, Robin starts getting freaked out, picks up a uh, sword, and is about to cut Dick's head off when the floor opens and Dick falls in. Then Damien realizes that his mother did something to him, and we see Batman, who is in the bottom of this secret passage, seeing a bunch of different things written on a secret walls in the secret cave that says Barbados, and then the name Thomas written all over it, and then the bat symbol on the floor. We then see Oberton Sex or Damien running through the graveyard outside Wayne Manor when Oberton Sexton grabs him and says, I'm here to help, um, I'm at your service. And that's the end of the issue. Basically, with Robin, is kind of like a Manchurian Candidate type thing, and he's just taken over by his mother. So that is Batman Robin number 10. Who, who are you? I'm your worst nightmare. All right, cool. That's going to bring us into Batgirl number 8. The Red Robin and Batgirl reunion, or I guess the Robin spoiler reunion, just uh, new identities. And we saw the beginning of this reunion in the last issue of Red Robin where Tim goes to the Batcave and he's like, I need help from anyone, anyone, anyone. Oh, no, not her. You know, because, of course, Stephanie's worse than Damien, obviously. Uh, but the way that it plays out at the beginning of this issue is a little differently because at first he thinks that she's Cassandra. It's not really a contradiction, but the way that the scene of them bumping into each other plays out, the dialogue's a little bit different. He sees that it's Stephanie, that she's in the Batcave, and she's like, he's like, where's Dick and Damien? And Stephanie says that they packed up a move shop, and he berates her for wearing the Batgirl outfit, and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of all of this. They are interrupted, though, because, as you know, Ra's al Ghul, he's targeting different people in Tim Drake or Tim Wayne's life as revenge for what Tim did with the League of Assassins earlier in the Red Robin arc. So they have to go to the Tompkins Clinic to save Leslie because there's something going on there. Meanwhile, Barbara is on a, is having her date with Detective Nick. Uh, they previously tried this first date thing, but Barbara was acting like a very, very, very mean woman, because I can't say a certain word on the podcast. So they try it again, and... They kind of get under each other's skin a little bit, but they get past that and make a connection. But Nick has to take care of some Detective Nick stuff, and Barbara has to take care of uh, the problems at the Thompson Clinic. So they both make excuses at the same time to leave. So that kind of works out. Over at the Tompkins Clinic, uh, 
Tim is looking on some computers. He's trying to... Basically, there's a satellite, which is blocking communications, so that way Tim can't get in touch and save everyone that Roz is trying to kill. He's trying to get things offline. He realized that they have to go to the party and warn Leslie. They go to this cocktail party where Leslie's located at. It's at the Gotham Museum of Art, and Tim realizes that he can't go parading in there with their costume, so he tells Stephanie he needs her help, and she says, Pwned. <sighs> I don't think that's what that's how you say it. Then she says, then how do you say it? And he says, I don't. She says, you used to. And he says, I stopped. Because Tim is so moody and edgy now. So Tim breaks into a place and steals some clothes. I'm assuming that he used some of his Wayne money to pay for it. And him and Stephanie make a stunning appearance at the party. And everyone's looking at them in their formal clothes. And, of course, Lucius Fox is happy to see Tim, particularly since he sent his daughter halfway around the world to track him down. Leslie's there with Wendy Harris, uh, the crippled girl. And he's Wendy's a little apprehensive about being there. And she feels like she's being shown off as a souvenir. And then Leslie's like, no, it's to get you out into the world again. Lucius Fox is like, yeah, I kind of sent my daughter halfway around the world to find you. Where is she, by the way? And then Tim bolts because he sees Stephanie running off with Leslie. Stephanie's trying to get Leslie to safety before Roz's ninjas show up. And show up those ninjas do. But by that point, Tim is there and him and Stephanie are able to fight them off in their, not in their costumes, but in their formal clothes, no less. Stephanie gets a little distracted, reminiscing about the past, and after the last ninja's knocked down, she punches Tim in the face, thinking that he's one of them. I, lo- I love how Miller brought this back, but after, you know, she punches Tim, Tim says, better than a brick to the face, I guess. And she says, you remember? He says, hard to forget. Because in the very first spoiler story, back in uh, Chuck Dixon's run on Detective Comics, when Tim first met Stephanie, she, he unmasked her, was surprised to see that spoiler was a girl, and then she responded by smashing a brick to his face. So, meanwhile, Stephanie was able to get the phones and the communications working again, thanks to her contact, who she calls Bluebird, which turns out to be Supergirl. Apparently, that friendship from the world's finest miniseries has carried over to the main titles, which is good. Tim and Stephanie are now back in their costumes, and they're talking on the rooftop, and Tim starts to get a little nostalgic, and looks like he's going in for a kiss, but Stephanie denies him and says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let my guard down right now. And it's a good thing that she didn't, because then comes Prudence, and Tim's like, yeah, this is complicated, and she says, when is it not with you? And Prudence has a, I'm going to kill you look on her face, and it says, to be continued in Red Robin 10... To the Batmobile. Let's go. And continued it does, with Ra's al Ghul getting a briefing from his men about how the fight went with Tim and Stephanie that ruined his plans. So, we're back on the rooftop, and Prudence reveals that she was actually hired to kill Stephanie, and then Tim's freaking out, oh my god, because Prudence then pulls a gun on Stephanie's head, and he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Just standing there, kind of slack-jawed. When Stephanie incapacitates Prudence, you know, gets her to the ground and the gun out of her hand and tosses the gun to Tim. (laughs) And Tim's, like, surprised, like, whoa, Stephanie could fight now, which is funny because Stephanie isn't exactly a rookie off the block. She did train with Batman for a while. In fact, she was Robin. She was also trained by Black Canary, but apparently people like to think that Stephanie is just some rookie in the Batgirl title. I don't know, and then Prudence is like, no, I said I was hired to kill you, but, you know, I'm actually on your side. Which is funny, because she pulled a gun on her head and said, I was hired to kill you. So, it's funny how Stephanie came to that conclusion. Vicky Vale shows up at Wayne Manor. 
to ask Alfred where Tim Drake is, and Alfred tries to brush her off, but she's like, no dice. I've been checking around for him. He hasn't been in school, and there was a letter signed by Bruce. I talked to his friends, and then we see Ives, his friend, uh, who has his hair back. I think he was bald from cancer last time we saw him, so we can assume that maybe he's wearing a wig. And uh, Zoanne, Tim's ex-girlfriend from Fabian's run on Robin. Vic- and then, of course, she talks about how when she met Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne doesn't remember signing any letter to the school. So excuse- so Vicky's like, where is Tim? And on the subject of Bruce Wayne, we check in with Tommy Elliot, and if you remember Streets of Gotham... The condition was made by Dick Grayson that Tommy Elliott was always going to be with a member of the Outsiders or Justice League or somebody. And we see Katana, who's been made quick work of by the League of Assassins. She's not dead. She's just on the floor. And Roz gets to Tommy Elliott and says, I need to talk to you now. Stephanie finds out from Prudence that Tim basically led the League of Assassins for a while, and she berates him for his whole acting out of character thing, shutting everyone out and acting like a crazy person. And he's like, okay, you're right, I'm sorry, and that surprises her. And they agree to all work together. Roz is having a sit-down meeting with Tommy Elliott, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, and he says that he needs accesses to all of Bruce Wayne's resources. And that's where we leave them for a little while. Tim is at his Gotham City Red Robin bunker with Prudence and Stephanie when he sees that a bomb was left there and that the place is ready to explode. Tim detonates another bomb in the floor real quickly so that they're able to go underground before the building explodes with them in it. But problems aren't over yet because outside, a bunch of Roz's assassins are waiting to kick their butts. And remember, Roz is targeting different people in Tim Drake's life, so... Tam Fox, who's still under assignment from her father to track down Tim Wayne wherever he's run off to, is now trying Wayne Manor. And Vicky Vale, who's probably just been tossed out by Alfred, is like, hey, Miss Fox, I want to ask you a few questions about Tim Drake. And Tam is saying, what do you want to know? And while she's saying that, we see that they are in the crosshairs of a sniper, presumably one of Roz's assassins. And that's our cliffhanger for Red Robin number 10. Stay cool, bird boy. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman the Widening, gear number five. The issue starts off with uh, a radio station that has basically been taken over by Mr. Freeze, and he's obviously frozen a bunch of people, specifically because this guy who used to be a radio DJ in Washington, D.C., has moved to Gotham City and has been making fun of villains. Well, he made fun of Freeze's wife, and because of that, he's decided he must pay, so he's taking him hostage and frozen him on a billboard, going on and on about how he doesn't need to be making fun of his wife, since his wife is Nora Fry's, and obviously she's not, not the best person to be making fun of when your, her husband is a guy who has a freeze gun, and in this case, he also has a fire gun, which is new. I don't think I've seen that, at least for a while. I think I have seen it once or twice, but... I've never seen Mr. Freeze with a fire gun. Um, anyway, during this whole exchange, uh, Mr. Freeze, is, Tim Drake shows up and decides he needs to stop Mr. Freeze. And then we cut to we cut back and forth. Turns out that uh, Bruce is actually in Aspen on a guest vacation with Silver St. Cloud. Then we see Baphomet show up and help out or help out Tim Drake take out Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze gets taken out, 
and gets arrested. Baphomet and Robin save the guy, save the radio DJ, and Mr. Freeze gets arrested. And this whole story is being told by Tim Drake to Bruce over the phone while Bruce is in Aspen with Silver St. Cloud. Then Tim Drake tells Batman that... Uh, that Baphomet did something very strange, and right after they took out Mr. Freeze, he takes off his mask in front of him and says that, uh, out of nowhere, he, just, he, he says, he just takes off his mask and says, you know, I can't breathe through the sweat of the mask. So they find that strange, but then uh, Tim Drake also says that the other night he saw Catwoman looking for Bruce, the other, you know, looking for Bruce, but obviously he's not in town. They get off the phone and Batman goes to bed and he's we go through this inner monologue about him's going on and on about how sometimes he feels guilty because he's here instead of in uh, Gotham City where he should be and then Silver St. Cloud wakes up they talk about it for a while and he says I just don't really feel that bad that I'm not in Gotham it's kind of nice to not feel like I need to be there uh, then we cut back to Gotham City where now Batman has come back to Gotham City and he meets up with Catwoman, who, in a weird way, Catwoman is portrayed in a version that has never been seen in comics, in my opinion, only in the 60s TV show. Not sure why that is, but whatever. She's basically going on and on about how she wants to get with Bruce, and Bruce says, you know, we need to talk, we need to have a discussion, Basically, him leading up to the fact that he needs to tell her that he's with somebody else. And then the bat signal goes off and he has to take off. It turns out the uh, Joker escaped from Arkham after killing two inmates because they they knocked over the Joker's milk. And because of that, the Joker killed these two inmates and escaped. And he's now in the middle of Gotham City, the Canal District, and he's shooting people left and right with a shotgun. He's already shot 19 people and three are dead. Batman comes up, and as he comes up, he finds out that Baphomet is already there, and Baphomet actually single-handedly takes out Joker by himself. Batman says, you know, he might be ready. He might actually be ready to take, o take over, and I don't have to worry about this anymore. He then follows Baphomet, finds him, take off his costume, follows him to the subway, the subway then to his house, where he... Baphomet turns and says, you know, what do you want to know? He tells him, I've got a wife, two kids, I used to live in Delaware, I lost my brother to mass crime in the city, and I wanted to make sure that this could never happen again. He basically breaks down and says, you know, why did, why did my brother have to die? And Batman says in his little inner monologue that he wants to tell him exactly, he wants to tell him he knows exactly how he feels. He's not going to do it tonight. He's just going to extend him the same courtesy he's shown Gotham by giving him some support. And that is Batman the Widening Gear number 5. Now let's throw it over to Zach, who as I mentioned is on location in Ohio with two books, Detective Comics number 862 and Batman Confidential number 42. So let's take it away, Zach. Look, up in the sky! It's a Zeta bird! It's an air car! No, it's all right, everybody, and let's start off with Detective Comics 862, written by Greg Rucka and artwork done by Jock. This is the continuation of the Cutter storyline, part two of three. 
The issue opens with another missing girl, Vanessa Hansen Gray. Her father has printed out flyers that say that rewards for any information given. The flyer also says to call the GCPD tip line, which Gordon is discussing with the father and Bruce Wayne. Gordon wants them to hold off on distributing the flyers because it will overwhelm the tip line because of the reward being indicated. Her father is confused and doesn't know what to do. Gordon begins to interview the household staff for a second time. Gordon asks them for any information, and Bruce notices the nervousness of the security guard. We cut to later that night where we see Batman confront the security guard. And we learn that the night Vanessa was kidnapped, the guard had fallen asleep. We then cut to the emergency room where another girl has stumbled in, covered in blood. Meanwhile, Batwoman and the police are pursuing the Cutter Killer when they receive the news of another victim arriving at the hospital. The Cutter Killer then opens the doors in the back of his van and opens fire on the police and Batwoman. Batwoman is able to dodge the bullets and jumps into the van. We then cut back to Batman, who is continuing his search for Vanessa Gray. Batman's suspect fights back, denying that he took Vanessa against her will. We cut back and forth between both altercations, and neither one favors the members of the Bat family. Batman is stabbed in the shoulder, and Batwoman is overpowered and then thrown from the van. Batman is then thrown from the van he was in, and both are left in defeat. We then cut to the following morning, where Kate and Betty are planning on meeting for coffee the next morning. Betty then asks Kate how she let go of the past, and then we see Betty peering over the flame bird costume. We then cut to Gotham University, where Betty is walking a friend back to her room. We see the Cutter Killer in the shadows waiting to make his move when Batwoman attacks. Betty's friend wants to run, but Betty steps in and takes her shot at the Cutter Killer. The Cutter throws a number of knives at Batwoman and Betty, and they are able to dodge all but one, which lands in the chest of Betty's friend, Cassidy. To be continued. The Question Co. feature, written by Greg Rucco with art by Coley Hamner. The story opens with Tot refusing to help the girls any longer because they made the deal with the uh, hitman. Renee then asks if Huntress knows anyone good with computers, which leads the girls back to Gotham City and find none other than Barbara Gordon. The girls give Barbara the computer that they received from the hitman. Barbara meets up with the girls and explains the next location that they must travel to, Odessa, Ukraine. The girls enter the building and are met by guards. They make quick work of them and enter deeper into the building. They capture a man and ask him where the terminal is. The man hits the alarm and it begins to sound. While Renee is uploading the information from the servers, Huntress takes out the guards with ease. The girls then hop on a plane and head for Kalong Island. As they exit the plane, they are confronted with people carrying guns, and they are informed that they are now prisoners. To be continued. This is how I'll always remember you. Surrounded by winter, forever young, forever beautiful. Rest well, my love. The monster who took you from me will soon learn that revenge is a dish best served cold. Alright, next up, Batman Confidential number 42, written and penciled by Sam Keith. Part 3 of 4 of the Ghost Storyline. We begin with Kali nursing Batman back to health again. She continues to flirt with him, and his vision is currently poor. She helps him up, and they head over to the library. While there, Batman begins researching connections between the victims. He learns that the creature has no agenda, and that the common link is that all of the victims had a parent or guardian killed by gunfire. The two begin to head back to Kali's place, and Batman's vision is slowly improving. Kali continues to flirt when Batman explains that the creature informed him that something might happen to Kali. She is alarmed, but Batman informs her that he will protect her. She is his friend. 
which upsets her because she's obviously romantically attracted to Batman. She tells him not to worry and heads home by herself. Later, across town, Batman meets up with a cop and asks him some questions about guns. The cop is at a firing range and continues to shoot while being questioned. Each shot makes Batman relive the night his parents were killed. We then cut to Kali reliving a moment with her mother where her mother kept looking for a four-leaf clover for Kali. Her mother eventually finds it and has it laminated for Kali, who still has it. The flashback is then interrupted and we cut back to Batman and the cop. The cop questions Kali's abilities, but Batman defends her. Just before he leaves, he tells the cop that he was never there. Batman then begins to think back to his childhood and, and how he never cried at the funeral and how he kept himself locked in his room. We then cut to that night, and we are inside Kali's dream. She is a child, and she is being bullied about her blindness by two other girls. We then cut to the present time at night, where Batman has found the creature preying on an older couple. He quickly strikes and begins to feel the creature weaken. He continues to relive that night and promises not to let his ghosts weaken him. Batman rescues a boy from the creature, but is unable to save some of the others. He feels he is ready to end this. To be continued. Alright, so those are the books for this episode. Let's go into our review wrap-up. First one up, Batman Robin number 10. Okay, a couple things I liked. Uh, not so many things I didn't like, but a couple things I, I didn't like. Andy Clark's art is good. It reminds me a lot of Frank Quietly's art without the grittiness, um, which is good, but it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but then again, Frank Quietly's not my cup of tea either, and a lot of people don't like that I don't particularly like Frank Quietly's art. But you know what? Th that's fine. Uh, I, I consider myself a nonconformist. Anyway, uh, the last time we saw Andy Clark, he was working over in Batman Confidential, and we didn't have the nicest words to say, but that was mostly because of the story, not necessarily because of the art. Overall, the art was good. Um, I thought this story was a little drawn out. It seemed like they were trying to cram a lot of information in a in in a in a book, but they but then you find out that there's not actually a, as much information as you think. I don't really know where they're going with all of this stuff and how it's going to tie into Batman Return of the Bruce Wayne, but I'm sure it will because Grant Morrison's writing all of this stuff. So with that in mind, um, I'll I'll wait and see. I do like the Manchurian Candidate thing. It explains why exactly Damien wants to take out Batman and it makes more sense now. Although at the same time, we could have saw it coming if we thought that, oh, it could be a Manchurian Candidate type thing. But I mean, overall, I thought it was a decent book. Um, I don't think it was as good as the last three issues, but that's mostly because it was, in my opinion, kind of slow. I like this issue. I like that we're kind of getting this eerie time travel, working backwards mystery, and the whole portraits of the Waynes things. It's it's good. I I love how everybody is like, wow, it looks like Tim Drake's right. Oh, well, it's not like we have anything to say or apologize to him that we basically gave him a nervous breakdown and sent him away because we told him that he was wrong, and I tried to send him to an institution. <laughs> it's like, oh, Tim Drake was right. Who knew? Oh, well. It does bother me a little bit that if it wasn't for a trapdoor, Dick's head would basically be separated from his neck. I would like to think that Dick has a little more skill than that to basically just be saved by blind luck. Heck, even on the cover, it looks like he's looking in a pool of blood, so maybe he would have liked seeing the reflection. But that's just a little pet peeve of mine. I'm enjoying 
this book again. I'm enjoying it a little more than I had the last few issues, so I'm going to say four out of five Batarangs. And I'm going to give Batman Robin uh, four out of five Batarangs as well. Over on the uh, website, Suave Star reviewed the book, and he gave the book a total of four out of five Batarangs as well. So that's going to give Batman Robin number ten four out of five Batarangs. So let's move into Batgirl number eight. I think, for the most part, this was this was an okay book. I'm not going to go as far as to say it was as good as some of the other Batgirl issues, specifically for a couple things. One, I wasn't a big fan of the guy doing the art on this book at all. The couple pages that we had where Oracle and Nick Gage were having their little exchange, I thought looked extremely rushed and looked very out of place. It didn't even flow with the style of the rest of the book, it really seemed like somebody threw that together in a very short amount of time. Um, overall, the the story, I get that they were doing the crossover, and overall, when you read the two books together, it works. But as a single issue, this book kind of left me unsatisfied because it portrayed her in a different way than what she than the way she has been portrayed throughout the book. She suddenly goes from the confident girl that she has been in the previous issues to kind of swooning over Tim in a weird way. Not directly, but indirectly with the inner, my, the inner monologues that are going on throughout the book. I don't think it really helps the situation, especially at the end of the book when she says, I'm not going to let my guard down, when throughout the book she let her guard down and she ended up not paying attention to what she was doing and ended up punching him in the face because she was letting her guard down reminiscing about the past. But that's just me, and I guess that's a pet peeve as well. Um, overall, I don't think it was a bad book. I just don't think it it was as good as some of the previous issues. I'm enjoying this. I've always been enjoying the series, but the arts, I'm going to agree with Dustin. Talent's Caldwell. He needs to have a little bit more of his first name, Talent. It's, I guess, art. It does look like it was thrown together. It's, And it's a shame because the art in this book was really good, and what really hit home for me was... In that little fight sequence that they have with the ninjas when they're in their, you know, formal wear, that could have looked really awesome. And in the Red Robin book where they show a flashback to it, it looks even better as a flashback in the Red Robin book than it actually did in the page itself. The art is really, really wonky, especially those pages, those last two pages, two or three pages where they're on the rooftop. There's one where uh, they're both landing on the roof together and Stephanie has... Has no pupil. She has an eyeball, but it's just like a plain white eyeball. And then the next page, she has pupils again. And the way that their proportions are, where they're landing on the rooftop, just eh. But I loved the story itself because I've always been a big fan of these two characters, whether they're romantically involved or not. And I followed their history for so long since the 90s, which is why I appreciated the callback to Stephanie smashing a brick against Tim's head. So I'm going to say four out of five batterings. Okay, and I guess I have the opposite thing, and I'm actually going to give it two out of five batterings. This uh, book was actually reviewed twice on the website, one by the normal reviewer Zayas, who gave it three out of five batterings, and Suave Star also reviewed this book as well and gave it three out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batgirl number eight a total of three out of five batterings. Moving on to Red Robin number... 10. Um, now, here's the thing. This is, you know, the second part of the crossover. 
I first thing I got to say is I really like the cover. That cover is really good uh, with the Red Robin versus Batgirl, and then the background Tim Drake as Robin and Stephanie as Spoiler. I think that's a really cool uh, cover. Um, that being said, the art inside, I don't really have anything against what happened with the art, but it's not it's not anything special. It doesn't like appeal to me where um, some other things like Cameron Stewart's art in Batman Robin 7, 8, and 9 did. I thought that was good art. This art, it's, it's, it's okay. It, it, there's nothing special about it. The issue did jump around a little bit more than I wanted it to, but it's understandable because they're trying to do a lot of things, and now that we know Yost is going to be off the book and only he's only got two more issues left, I can kind of understand it because that means he's trying to wrap up a lot of these different storylines that he started or he said he was going to finish in the first place, like the Vicky Vale one. Um, my personal opinion of that is he waited too long to do it, and now it's going to seem like it's going to be rushed in these last two issues. Um, but I'm not talking about the last two issues because we don't have those yet. But this issue, it was, it, again, fine, nothing special to me. Um, wasn't bad, but again, it just it just felt like a filler issue in general. It's just sad that they could... I don't know. I, I think it would have been maybe a little bit better if the same writer did both of the books, Batgirl and Red Robin, instead of having two different writers do it. Because I think it just would have worked a little bit more smoothly and you wouldn't have had to re, rehash some things like spend five the first five pages of Batgirl talking about what happened in the last two pages of Red Robin, issue number nine. We could have gotten a little bit more story into it. So that's that's what I think. And when they inevitably release this in a trade paperback, that's going to look really, really wonky <laughs> when the five pages basically repeat the last issue. Superhero misunderstanding fights, they're cliches and they're annoying. And, of course, we got the whole thing this time where, no, you didn't let me finish when I pointed a gun at your head and said I was hired to kill you. That didn't mean that I was trying to kill you. My God. like These leaps in logic are just you know, crazy. I would like to think that Katana could take out some of Roz's ninjas, but eh, whatever. The whole Tommy Elliot thing, it was just kind of thrown in there. There was maybe three pages devoted to it, and it barely did anything. I think that they could have expanded upon it a little more, but that's what happens in serialized comics like this. Oh, real you know, quick, how could Katana be with Tommy Elliot if Katana's stuck in Markovia right now? Just saying. Anyway... You know, that stuff doesn't bother me as much because we're dealing with superheroes and, like, there's a freaking teleporter to the moon in the, in, in the Justice. True. I mean, and you got people that can do at the speed of sound. I'm sure that she can, you know, go to Gotham and back to Markovia in the span of an afternoon. Well, and, it's more of the idea of that the Outsiders were considered, out, out, uh, they were considered outlaws to the United States in the last issue of Outsiders. And they were trying to figure out how to get back to the United States because... They were outlaws because of everything that was happening with a geo force in Markovia. But, you know, whatever. And I didn't know that because I stopped reading Outsiders after Dan Didio's first issue because it was so horrible. <laughs> Clearly, I haven't missed too much from when I listened to Zach's review on the last comic cast. I did like that they made the references to some of the old characters like Ives and Zoan, even though I guess they forgot about Ives' cancer, leukemia, or whatever disease he had, which... 
I can I barely even remember that because it's been so long. As you can hear when I do my recap, it really annoys me how, like, ever since Stephanie became Batgirl, like, all the characters are like, wow, she can fight now. Wow, she's good now. And it's like, you know what? She was a superheroine for years. She trained with Black Canary and Batman. She was Robin. And if you read those issues where she was Robin, Batman basically put her through Batman boot camp. And then Tim's like, wow, I didn't know Stephanie could defend herself. What's really funny is that I mean, we haven't even really seen Stephanie do a whole lot of training since she became Batgirl, which is even more of a, why do they keep doing this over and over again? Like, she's learning all these new things because she's Batgirl now. It's like you put a bat on her chest and suddenly she's a whole different person. Yeah, like uh, that whole, oh, you have no right to be wearing the bat on your chest. It's like, you know what? I mean, well... I guess Cassandra was, you know, raised to be a killing machine, but obviously, like, Cassandra was even a newer character when they gave her the bat on the chest, but because it came from Batman, like, he gave it to her the wear, you know, maybe people see it differently. That's a whole nother debate, and now I'm going to get some Cassandra fanboys on my butts, including one in particular who I know listens to this podcast. I liked the art in this issue. Uh, I didn't like the writing as much as I liked in Batgirl, but the art was better, so it kind of evens out for me. Uh, I will say three out of five batterings. Like I said, nothing bad with the art, the writing. I'm just really tired of Yost. I want him off the book. And now I don't know how I'm going to read these next two issues of Red Robin and not be super judgmental knowing that Fabian's coming on the book and is going to make this book a lot better than it has been. Uh, I can't give it more than two and a half batterings out of five. Uh, Suave Star on the forums gave the book three out of five batterings, which is going to give Red Robin number 10 a total of three out of five batterings. All right, so Detective Comics, uh, like I said, we're not really going to cover in depth with these. Uh, We're just going to give them a rating. Uh, Detective Comics 862, uh, the continuance of the current storyline Nothing bad about it. It is kind of sad to see J.H. Williams off the book because with this direction that they're going now, it, it almost seems like, well, J.H. Williams should have been on the book. He's not. And really, the story that they're telling right now is not really all that interesting. So I'm going to give this one uh, just an average three out of five batterings. I'm going to have to echo Dustin's statement with three out of five batterings. I'm starting to lose interest in this story, but I'm a big fan of the old school stuff like Betty Kane and Flamebird. So that little cliffhanger about Betty Kane possibly becoming Flamebird again, that piqued my interest a little bit. Otherwise, this would have been two out of five batterings. But because they included that and piqued my interest a little more in a non-interesting story, I will say three out of five batterings. Okay, and then Batman Confidential 42... Um, overall, not a bad book. Uh, the continuance of this current storyline that they're doing with, uh, well, Sam Keith is doing. Again, I'm not. I don't. I'm not a big fan of this art. Um, but it's it, it, it's a certain art that some people really like and some people don't. Just don't like. I just don't like it. Um, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It actually fits perfectly with the narrative that's going on throughout the story, and it makes sense, but I just, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, again, just average three out of five batterings. I'm going to say two out of five batterings. The art isn't interesting to me, and the story isn't really grabbing my attention. 
it's not like it's bad or badly written. It's just if I don't like either of them and the comic bores me, why bother? Two out of five batterings. All right, so that is all of the books. Now let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello there and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm Nick and today I'm looking at four issues from the Batman series originally published in 1987. They're numbers 408 through to 411. And the reason I'm looking at these particular issues rather than a trade paperback is because they were very important in Batman's crime fighting career. We've now got up to the stage where the second Robin is introduced. These issues were written by Max Allen Collins, who wrote the graphic novel Road to Perdition, and the art is by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. Both have worked on Batman and Detective. So this is the origin of Jason Todd, with some slight differences to what we saw in Nightwing Year One last time. But this is the original. So is Jason Todd just a Dick Grayson clone, or do we get a bit more than that? Jeez, I don't believe it. It's the real Robin suit, isn't it? Whatever happened to him? In a rooftop confrontation, the Joker manages to shoot the Dick Grayson Robin before making a getaway attempt. The media thinks that the young hero is dead, but in reality, Dick survived. However, Batman forbids him to become Robin again, deciding that they have been lucky so far and it would be Bruce's fault if anything happened to him. So Batman continues his crusade solo. The anniversary of the death of his parents arrives some weeks later, and he makes his annual visit to Crime Alley to pay his respects. The alley is remarkably quiet. It seems word of this regular visit has got around the criminal fraternity. Despite this, Batman discovers that a young kid called Jason Todd has stolen the tyres from the Batmobile. Batman laughs this off, but retrieves his property. Batman is persuaded not to hand Todd over to the police or social services, and instead Jason is taken to Faye Gunn's School for Boys, where, once Batman has left, he meets a hostile reception. Jason Todd discovers that this school is a front for a school of crime. Batman, of course, believes it to be a fine, upstanding institution, as does Vicky Vale, one of numerous reporters to have taken an interest in the school. Both as Batman and Bruce Wayne, he uses his contacts to track down Jason's parents. It seems that his mother, Catherine, died of a drug overdose recently, while his father is believed to have been killed by Two-Face. Willis Todd, Jason's father, evidently discovered too late that this is one boss you should never double-cross. That night, Batman comes across Jason, once more removing the tyres from parked cars, and is amazed to hear the young man's tale of the even more worrying curriculum of the school. He then soon interrupts Mar Gunn and her boys at an art museum, which they are robbing, and with the unexpected help of Jason Todd, prevents them from stealing the Smile of Death necklace for the Joker. Impressed with Jason, Batman decides to take the boy on as the new Robin. We see Robin gets trained in the caves for the next six months, in all forms of combat and detection by Bruce. Two-Face then robs a casino, whilst leaving clues for Batman and Robin to catch him. They arrive to stop him, but Two-Face takes a civilian hostage. Robin puts himself forward to be taken, proposing that he is the second Robin and much more important to Batman. Two-Face agrees, and Batman lets them leave reluctantly. When in Two-Face's car, Jason manages to escape, but Two-Face still flees. Back at the Batcave, 
Bruce remarks on Jason's bravery and leaves him alone to train in the Batcave. But Jason does some research and digs up the facts about his father. Two-Face robs a a bank in broad daylight. The next day, Batman and Robin wait for him at a baseball double-header in his next planned robbery. Whilst being apprehended, Jason loses his composure and beats Two-Face, threatening that he will kill him. Two-Face manages to escape in the scuffle, then again escape the dynamic duo. Robin told Batman that he knew Two-Face had killed his father. Bruce feels Jason wasn't ready to deal with this information, but they do make up. They catch Two-Face the next night while he's robbing the same casino a second time, and this time they work together and bring down the villain, and Jason is hailed as the new Robin, and the dynamic duo are reformed. I wanna go. No, it's too dangerous. But I got a stake in there. I said no. Don't take it personally, lad. He's never been one for debate. It used to make Master Dick furious. Most unfortunate. In review, I felt this was another strange way of retiring the Robin role. It's another strange decision that Bruce has taken. He decided Robin should quit. Surely Bruce knew that there was a day that Dick could possibly get shot. That was always going to come at some point. Batman's been shot plenty of times as well. And he suddenly retires the role. I wasn't keen on this depiction either, just like the Nightwing Year One version, and I prefer the animated series way of, of portraying this breakup. Jason clearly isn't an unfortunate child when we find him, but he's not such an unlikable con- character when we consider his environment and his upbringing and how difficult a life he's had. I was not expecting the plot twist of the evil crime school and found that to be quite a good twist. We also get to see the effect Batman's having on Gotham while he strolls around at night and most of the underworld are certainly aware of that and fear him. He seems more like a policeman on his stroll around his neighbourhood rather than Batman. And another strange decision comes up here. After all the fuss about making Dick retire, he suddenly wants Jason to be the new Robin. After Dick nearly died, what's ma- what makes him think that Jason's going to do any better? Strange decision has been made by Bruce. But it was interesting to see Jason's training, learning to shoot a gun, for instance. He's clearly well prepared, but a violent streak is noticed within Jason at this early stage. Plus, he's a risky character, allowing himself to be taken hostage by Two-Face. It's been mentioned before how Jason Todd is just a clone of Dick Grayson, but I am seeing differences here in his origin story. It's a similar resemblance, facially and physically, but as a character I see differences, which I'm happy about. I thought it was interesting to learn about Todd's father, and how Two Fa- it's strange how Two-Face is often involved with new Robins. And I enjoyed Alfred's comments about that Bruce was placing Dick in Jason's path, and that no one was going to be able to top the previous Robin. I thought it was nice to see Bruce's logic about hiring Jason towards the end of the book regarding Jason's path towards crime and how Batman's helped him stray away from it. So now he's offered him a life as a crime-fighting superhero, which clearly is quite a risky one. seems Bruce, you could just put him in an orphanage. Two-Face is ruthless in this book. I like it. Killing a guard at one point just showed how dangerous this character can be. And as I mentioned in the review of Strange Apparitions... In these older books, you always get a token large object for Batman to fight a villain on. This time, it was a roulette wheel. There was some slightly old-timey dialogue, but still got a lot more intrigue with the character development, so I was able to live with this. 
But I did wonder, how does Two-Face just wander around in his bright suit and his brightly coloured face and no one notices it's him until he's got a gun out? Very strange. The art is old-fashioned and classical and, to be honest, looks a bit ordinary. So overall, I found Jason much more interesting than I expected and found these historic issues quite interesting. Bruce, however, made some very strange decisions, just like the last issue I reviewed, and the art to me seems fairly plain. However, it is worth checking out these issues, just for the history they convey of the second Robin. Three out of five batarangs from me. Next time I'll be looking at Batman Annual Number 9, which is titled The Four Faces of Batman, which features four different stories, Batman the Child, The Avenger, The Detective, and The Man, written by Mike Barr. These stories examine all the psyches of Batman and are considered a forgotten classic. So look forward to that one. But that's everything here at BBFB for this time. Now I'll send you back to the guys. See ya. With me, you follow the rules. Rule number one, you give me everything you've got. Rule number two, then you give me more. And rule number three, I make the rules. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next set of books to read for the next episode. Let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. On March 24th, we have Batman Streets of Gotham, number 10, Batman the Brave and the Bold, number 15, and Superman Batman, number 70. On March 31st, we have Gotham City Sirens, number 10, The Outsiders, number 28, Detective Comics, 863, Oracle the Cure, and Robin Archives, volume 2. As far as what we will be covering on the next episode, only a few books, uh, as will number 6, Batman 697, where we'll find out who exactly is Black Mask, then also Batman Streets of Gotham number 10, and Superman Batman number 70. So only four books, it'll be maybe a short episode, uh, but there's always Batman news to cover. So that's pretty much everything for this episode. Uh, as always, you can leave us a review on iTunes, go over the website for daily news, as well as comic reviews. You can listen to the other podcasts. We do have a new special up available. Uh, you will be will be posting episode fifty of the normal cast very soon, so you can look forward to that. You can join the forums and chat with other bat fans. It's been a decent discussion about Jason Todd and what should be happening with Jason Todd ever since we talked about it in the last episode. You can send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and also on YouTube. And find out when we post new videos. And that's pretty much it. So, this is Dustin. You got Josh. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 40. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.
is so unnatural to say you've got Josh after this is Dustin. Yeah. The word of the day was wonky. You said that numerous times. Wonky. Huh. It's funny. Interesting word. It's funny because I haven't even seen the new Alice in Wonderland movie yet. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I saw it. It was okay. I. It wasn't bad, but I could care less about it one way or the other. I wish I could have saw something else besides that. I could have waited for that to come out. My wife is obsessed with seeing all these movies that come out in 3D, and it's just like I don't really care about this 3D thing. And at work, I set up uh, a brand, the brand new Samsung TV that has the 3D capabilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> along with the Blu-ray player that has 3D capabilities, and they we put in Monsters and Aliens in 3D. And honestly, people are out of their freaking mind if they let this technology last. You pay an extra $1,000 for something that every once in a while you see something 3D on the screen. It's really dumb. Really dumb. Is it like 3D glasses or something? Oh, you still have glasses, yeah. You still have glasses that have to be plugged in to the TV when you're using them. Like the... Part red, part blue glasses, because I hate those. No, no, it's not those. It's like okay. the ones you get now at the movie theater. Oh, like it's like, I, like IMAX glasses. Yeah, yeah, kind of like those. But uh, man, it's really dumb, really, really dumb. I I just want this whole 3D fad thing to just go away really quickly, and not have everyone in the world making such a big deal about it. it doesn't help that everybody keeps going and seeing these movies in 3D, and everyone thinks that people are seeing them in 3D because they want to. In reality, they're putting it out in 3D, and if you want to see it and not have to pay the extra money to go see it in 3D, you don't have a whole lot of options. There's not very many places that aren't showing it in 3D. I'm flipping through real quickly because my summaries are at the other house, but there's really not much to forget in these issues because I read them, and I pretty much got a good feel for Batgirl and Red Robin. But I'm probably going to mostly do it old school. Like the, when I say old school, the way that we used to do it, where we're actually like flipping through the book. But I remember. Yeah, the way I still do it. Oh. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, all right. So moving right along. Uh, let's see. Is there anything actually worthwhile in this? The dog doesn't think so. Uh, Or maybe he's barking the worn Batman that Robin's about to chop his head off. Yeah. In that picture. Maybe. Okay, I'm not even going to bother with that, so we'll do Nisiza. March 11th, it was announced that Fabian Nisiza will be taking Red Robin. Red Robin. <laughs> Red Robin. Okay. Because there's a cocktail party going on at the Tompkins Clinic, and Tim realizes that he's going to need Stephanie's help, and they're actually going to have to go down wearing formal clothes. Josh. Yeah. The cocktail party was at uh, the Gotham City Museum. So they go to the cocktail. And I love this. I I was talking about how Yost at least knows his continuity somewhat. Or, no, this isn't Yost. Yeah, it is. Uh, Doing Batgirl? Oh, oh, I thought it was Red Robin. Yeah, me, me. Brian Brian G. Miller. Yeah, no. Hey guys, isn't Dan Slot awesome? Dan Slot's awesome. Dan Slot, Dan Slot. 